And all of God's people said, hallelujah. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, team. I know you heard it said there are no such thing as free lunch. Right? You've heard that. No more, no free lunches, meaning, of course, that you cannot get something for nothing. In the end, someone has to pay, right? Just someone has to pay. I want to show you just a few seconds of an exchange uh, in the Senate, the U.S. Senate. Only a few seconds. Tells you where we are as a culture about somebody has to pay. It's between Nancy DeVos, I mean Nancy DeVos, uh, uh, Betsy DeVos and Senator Sanders. Put it on. Some of us believe that we should make public colleges and universities tuition free so that every young person in this country, regardless of income, does have that option. That's not the case today. Will you work with me and others to make public colleges and universities tuition-free through federal and state efforts? Well, Senator, I think that's a really interesting idea, and <laughs> it's really great to consider and think about. But I think we also have to consider the fact that there's nothing in life that's truly free. Somebody's going to pay for it. Oh, and so, yes, you're right. And you're so right. Somebody would, will pay for it. Thank you very you much. <laughs> Somebody will have to pay. The phrase, no free lunches, is really uh, expresses the reality that somebody has to pay. What we're saying when we say there are no free lunches is that there is no such thing as pure grace. There's no such thing as no unearned favor. No such thing as unmerited gift, right? In most business relationships, the axiom is you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Uh, you give me something I want, I'll give you something you want. You do something nice for me, and I'll do something nice for you. But someone has to pay. Say that with me. Someone has to pay. You know, when our kids were teenagers, I used to tell them that payback is coming. Because when I'm old... I'm going to move in with them. <laughs> and then I'm going to open the refrigerator door and stand in front of the fridge for about half an hour and then yell, there is nothing good to eat here. I will drive their brand new cars and screech around the corner at 80 miles an hour. In fact, I will use their insurance policy to cover my car, and I won't worry about my driving records. Furthermore, I'm going to demand an allowance. <laughs> Payday someday. In reality, no free lunch may be a good deterrent for the freeloaders. <laughs> but when it comes to salvation, when it comes to salvation, somebody paid. Somebody paid. Somebody already paid. So I want to tell you about a real free lunch today. 
that will keep you alive for all of eternity. If you turned already with me to, eight, to Romans 8, and we're going from verse 28 to the end, and if you're visiting with us, we're in the middle, literally, of a series of messages from the epistle to the Romans. Because here in this passage, Paul tells us about a free lunch that will nourish you not only for the rest of your life, but for all of eternity. Because somebody paid for that eternal free lunch. And I want to show you three things from this passage. In verse 28, you're going to find that this free lunch will sustain you, will nourish you for all of your life and then for all of eternity. Even when you eat some junk food and poisonous food sometimes. Secondly, I want to show you from verses 29 to th- and 30, two verses, that this free lunch you could never get yourself if you live to be a million years old. And finally, thirdly, verses 31 to 29, God himself guarantees that no one will eat your lunch. First, God's free lunch that will nourish you, that will sustain you, that will keep you, regardless of what junk food you may eat at times or poisonous food you may eat at times, and that's in verse 28. Verse 28 of Romans 8 is called the glorious verse in the Scripture. In fact, it is the most glorious verse in this whole epistle. But it's also the most misunderstood and the most misquoted verse probably in the whole Bible. For true believers, this verse has been the soft pillar, just like Lauren sang, sweet comfort. It's been the the soft pillar on which many a weary head has laid and rested. Someone said that Romans 8.28 is one of the most glorious provisions in the whole of the Scripture. It is breathtaking in its magnificence. It is overwhelming in its generosity, and it is all-encompassing in its magnitude. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, we know. People always jump that, those two words, and they go to the next few words. But those two words are very significant. We know. Say it with me. He's saying that based upon the security of the believers in which we saw very clearly on chap- in chapter 7 in the last message, based on the fact that the Holy Spirit already has sealed our adoption papers, they are permanent and they're forever, based on the fact that our names are written in the book of life by the blood of Jesus Christ, we know, therefore, beyond the shadow of doubt, that God is weaving all of our circumstances, the bad circumstances and the good circumstances, and don't ever call bad circumstances good. The bad is bad. Amen? Don't, don't, don't spiritualize. <laughs> uh, but he can take them all, and he weaves a tapestry. Uh, we know beyond the shadow of doubt that God uses our deep disappointments and brings his own divine appointments. We know beyond a shadow of doubt that God takes all of the bad and the painful and the hurtful and and, and the confusing things in life, and He shakes it up together in His sovereign mill, and voila, blessing comes out. 
Here's what Paul is saying. We know that in all things, can you say all things? All All things. That means all things. Did you get that? I mean, that's very profound. When he said all things, he meant all things. Not just some things, not just the good things, not just the happy times, not just the, the, the good fortune or the good luck. No, no, no. All things. And the word is that he incorporates them. He somehow incorporates them. And he takes all these things and he incorporates them. How come? Because God is working unceasingly on behalf of those who love him. Because God is working energetically on behalf of those who love him. Because God is working purposefully on behalf of those who love him. And please, please, please do not quote this verse to somebody who's not a believer. This verse is for those who what? It's for those who love him. It's for those who what? Because often you hear people glibly say, well, everything will work out for, good, for the good, or everything works okay in the end, or you hear some people glibly say, everything will be all right. No, 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 no. The good will certainly work out only for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, amen belongs here. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. This is not a promise to the non-believers. It is only for those who truly love Jesus. Let me illustrate. Because Joseph demonstrated his love for God by his faithfulness. Even though he did not have a Bible or a preacher or a Bible study, uh, God took them horrible, and they are horrible. No beautifying them. They were horrible. Things that happened to him because of his faithfulness. God took all of this and he brought a glorious things out of it. Because Job was tested by God with the most dreadful circumstances. God double-blessed him. When Daniel placed God above his safety... God came down and zipped the lion's mouth because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego loved God so much, even at the threat of death, God himself showed up in the middle of the fire. And don't ever forget, he did not save them out of the fire. He walked with them in the fire, and he turned into a garden. Because of the divine, eternal Son of God, obeyed the Father unto death, the death of the cross. The Father mightily raised him from the dead. The Father crowned him Lord of all. The Father made the grave give way to glory. For all of us who love God, listen to me when I say that whatever Satan means to harm you, and he wants to harm you, make no mistake about it, God is weaving it and turning it to bring a blessing to you. Amen. For those of you who love the Lord, you need to understand, those of you who are absolutely anchored in the Word of God, you need to understand what I'm going to tell you. Your life is not a random mess. Your life is not out of control. Your life 
is not a string of disasters or even a string of good lucks. <laughs> Your life is not meaningless and purposeless and aimless, but even in the midst of your suffering, you can shout with the prophet Jeremiah who said in the midst of his suffering, prophesying in 29:11, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and future. Now, don't clap for me. You want to clap, clap to the Lord, not to me. Amen. Now, beloved, for only when faith is tested can it be truly your possession. Let me repeat this. Only when faith is tested can it be truly your possession. God's free lunch will nourish you even when you eat junk food, and not only for all of life, but for all of eternity. God's free lunch is like salt. I know you all know this, but it bears repeating. Salt is made of two poisonous components. Two poisonous components. Either of them is taken separately, it will kill you. Sodium and chlorine. But when you mix them together, they become useful and tasteful element. And so is God's free lunch. Uh, he takes all of the poisonous elements in your life. He takes all of the dangerous elements of your life. He takes all of the dreadful elements in your life, and He mixes them together in His loving plan to bless you, and pop comes out something so wonderful that cannot be expressed in words. Now, if you've read my book, Trust and Obey, and any of my books, you know, my beloved friends, you know that I'm no stranger to painful circumstances. I'm no stranger to life-threatening situations. I'm no stranger to big events in life that are confusing and that are puzzling. But, but listen, I am here today so I can testify to you that in all things, God cooperates all things to bring good to you and blessing to His kingdom and glory to God. Amen and amen and amen. First, God's free lunch nourishes you even when you get some poisonous food in your system. Secondly, God's free lunch is something that you could never, 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 never in a million years get yourself. Look at those two verses, 29 and 30. Beloved, listen to me. There is no ambiguity in the Scripture there is no ambiguity in the Word of God as to the fact that we cannot save ourselves. There is no ambiguity to the, as to the fact that salvation and redemption is God's free gift to us. Uh, and those who preach ambiguity, which they seem to be growing in number, sadly, those who preach ambiguity, either they're fooling themselves or they are totally deceived. We cannot work for our salvation. We cannot pay for our salvation. We cannot brag about our salvation. It is the gift of God. It's truly a free eternal lunch. Look at verse 29, Romans 8. This verse has been described by some scholars as a golden chain. And like any chain, you take one link out and it whole thing collapses. It's a golden chain. 
Every link is significant. Every link is there for a purpose. There's foreknowledge, one link, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. It's one chain. We saw in the last message that there is no condemnation upon those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you get that? Say it with me. There is no condemnation upon those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, not only that there's no condemnation, but this no condemnation eventuates in glorification. Don't miss this very important aspect of the Christian life. Some people do to their own detriment. God does not save us at some point in our life, and then He just loses interest in us and moves on, drop you off. No. Beloved, I have seen with those two eyes some warm, intimate friendships with people, uh, and all of a sudden, they have a, a falling away, and they lose interest in that friendship. I have seen with those two eyes um, some people who are so enthusiastic about the church of the apostles, and then they lose interest, and they say, Michael just preaches a hard message, and they move on. I have seen couples who are so in love with each other, and then eventually they say, we are out of love. And they talk about love as if you're changing your socks. You put a new one on when the old one you don't like anymore. That is not our God. That is not our Savior. That is not our beloved Jesus. God does not love us today and then hate us tomorrow. God does not redeem us today and then unredeem us tomorrow. God does not welcome you one day and then kick you out tomorrow. No, 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 that's not our God. We sadly do these things to each other, but that is not our God. This is a description of some other gods that I have known people worshiping, but not our God. The Bible said in John chapter 13, verse 1, that when God loved His own, He loved them to the end. Now, He loved them to what? He loved them to what? There is no disinterest on God's part. There is no forsaken by you, by God, of you by God. No, 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 no. In this area, some people in the church really get messed up. They do get messed up about it. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe the Bible. I really believe the whole Bible. But I'm having a problem with this predestination thing. What's that predestination thing? Oh, let's talk about it, okay? Because I, I, I want to make sure. Beloved, the only source of election and predestination <laughs> is the love of God. Are you with me? And that divine love is not changeable. There you go. I got so enthusiastic, I lost my notes. But that's okay. I can find out where I am. The devil doesn't like what I'm saying. <laughs> sure, we make a decision to follow Jesus. I remember one time I was in seminary, and I was in a Calvinist seminary, so you understand they'll get this out of your way. <laughs> And I was walking through the singles quarters. I was in the married quarters, and I was walking through the singles quarters, and I was singing. 
I have decided to follow Jesus. And one of those sanctimonious guys up heard me singing as I'm walking, whistling, and he said, no, you did not decide to follow Jesus. I said, really? Of course you made a decision to follow. Of course. Absolutely. But did you know that God's decision about your salvation came before your decision? Did you get that? It is God's purpose. It is God's plan. It is God's pleasure for the believer to be eternally saved, not just saved one day and lost the next day. I don't know about you, but this truth does not only put me on my knees, it puts me on my face before God in gratitude and in thanksgiving. Think about this. Before time began, God knew you by name. Before time began, God willed it that you be eternally saved. And I'm absolutely convinced after all these years in ministry that it is pure human pride, human arrogance that says, my salvation is a joint venture with God. Really? You mean you're equating your part of receiving salvation from God with the cross of Christ? Come on now. No wonder we have a whole generation now that don't talk about sin anymore. We just say mistakes. We just make mistakes, and that's okay. That's, not, that's fine. I was talking to Paul the other day, this last week, and I said, all this new music coming out from Nashville or wherever they're coming from, and I said, I make mistakes, but that's okay. God, No, 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 no. Don't ever forget when we sin, we sin against the holy God, a God who loves us, who always welcomes us back when we repent. I want to bring this down all the way so that our young people I don't know whether you know this. There are nine, 10, and 11-year-olds here in this church who are taking notes of the sermon. One of them showed me how copious that note. I had tears in my eyes. It was just absolutely astounding. So I want to make sure that I don't leave them out. I want them to understand what I'm trying to say in a simpler way. Now, this is kind of, it's going to sound like a big marketing scheme, but it is not. Just rest with me, okay? I've written this book. If you haven't read it, you should read it. (laughs) It's an eye-opener. I spent hours writing this book. I had many sleepless nights thinking about this book. Uh, I took months in producing this book. Now, if I take this book and I give it to Al... I'll, I'll let you have it in the end, but not right away. Here you go. I'll give you this book. Okay? I'll give it to you in the end. Okay. <laughs> it's your gift. Now, Al graciously stretched out his hand and took the book from me, right? Now, I want you to imagine, after the service, out in the parking lot, Al says... <laughs> I'm sure glad Michael and I cooperated in this book. (laughs) I'm sure glad I went through the effort of stretching out my hands and taking the book from him. Um, uh, This book 
You know, it would not have been really possible for me to read unless I took, with the, stretched my hands and took the book. You say, that's ludicrous. As they say, bingo. <laughs> Think with me. I wrote the book. I worked hard on the book. I even walked down the aisle and handed it to Al. <laughs> what does Al what credit does Al get? <laughs> I freely gave it to him. Now you can have the book. <laughs> it's my gift to you for being gracious to me. <laughs> Thank you. Now let me move from the ridiculous to the sublime. In a far greater far greater, more exceedingly abundantly, profound way. God gave us salvation. He left the glories of heaven. He became an embryo in a virgin's womb. He lived a life of utter poverty. He went about performing miracles to ungrateful people. Then he died a criminal's death on the cross. He satisfied the justice of the Father which none of us and all of us combined could never have done. Christ carried our sin on his sinless, holy body, perfect body. Christ handed me salvation. What reaction should I have to all of this? Boy, I'm glad I helped God out here. I am so glad I stretched out and received salvation from God's hand. I am glad I got this redemption. I'm glad I had. No, 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 no. I'm humbled. I'm indebted to God. I'm grateful to the Lord. I'm deeply thankful. But here's the other side of the problem. You see, I always told you, you go to one extreme or the other, you get into trouble. Here's the other extreme that is happening today, particularly among younger preachers. They take this grace for granted. In fact, they presume on the grace of God. You know, the psalmist said, from the sin of presumption, God deliver me. They presume on God. Well, you know, God has chosen me. God predestined. God is. So now I can sit on my blessed assurance and do nothing. There's even worse than that. There are some are saying, now that the grace of God is, I should sin boldly. No, my beloved friends, that's equally heretical. One is human pride. The other one is human apathy. There are some people who say, about the Word of God here in Romans 8, 29 and 30, about election and predestination, they immediately say, oh, you see, if God predestined me, uh, if God chose me and I did not choose Him, He must be predestining people to hell. Are you listening carefully? This is important. Absolutely not. That is a false conclusion. But do you know why? 
Do you know why? Because there is not a single verse in the Scripture that says that God predestined people to hell. In fact, in both Old Testament and the book of Ezekiel and the New Testament, everywhere in the Scriptures is God longs for people to repent. It's His wish, it's His desire that nobody, no one should perish. I'm going to say more about this in the next message. But my beloved friends, I only know what I know. It's the Word of God said. And I could never draw conclusion based upon my feeble and false logic. That's what they do. And they get into trouble. They get messed up. What the Word of God says is this. I could not boast about my salvation because it's a gift. But there's more. The Word of God also tells us that we live in peace, that we have peace within, because the God who saved me is going to keep me saved. Amen? The God who saved me is going to keep me saved. You know, I always tell the story. When we were leaving Australia in 1977, our eldest daughter was two years old, and we were doing some last-minute shopping in the city of Sydney, and and, and, and the Elizabeth parents were in front of us, and they had Sarah in their hand. But my, my father-in-law had Sarah in his hand, and, and, and the traffic was terrible. I mean, cars coming and going, and, and she was trying to wiggle out of his hand and trying to wiggle out of his hand. And, and then she said, Grandpa, I will hold your hand. You don't hold my hand. <laughs> and the wise grandfather, he said, absolutely not. And he grabbed the hand even firmer. <laughs> Beloved, that's our God. If it's up to me to walk with God, I would have blown it a long time ago. But thank God who saves us, keep us saved. And that is why I live in peace. Things go up and down, I'm at peace. Problems beset me, I'm at peace. People attack me, I'm at peace. Because the God who saved me, He will do what? He'll keep me saved. The Word of God also said that I cannot be apathetic about my salvation. I cannot be apathetic. I can't, I can't just say, oh, who, hum, yeah, he saved me, fine. No, that is why Philippians 2.12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? You, God gave it to you, it's a gift, and you better be grateful to it day after day after day, and you better live up to that name, live up to that calling. You better be an obedient I cannot rest on my blessed assurance and take that gift for granted, but I must seek His strength on a daily basis to live in obedience. Listen carefully. I cannot help but pray earnestly. I cannot help but give generously. I cannot help but do all that I can to let others know about this gift of salvation so that they too can come to know the glorious gift of God. I was thinking about this, and I thought of a story, old story I read years and years ago about a, a veterinarian who used to go and visit a farmer friend on a regular basis, and one day he arrived at the farmer's house, and, and the farmer said, I'm glad you came because my dog is sick. And the veterinarian examined him went back to his truck, brought some medicine, gave it to the dog. Sure enough, 24 hours later, the dog was well. Fast forward many weeks later, the veterinarian coming to visit his farmer friend again. The dog runs as soon as he sees him. 
But he was not running away from him. He ran to the farm next door. And a few minutes later, he comes running back with another dog in his mouth. And he lays it at the feet of the veterinarian, as if to say, you healed me, heal my friend. My beloved, if you received the gift of God of eternal salvation and gave the assurance of salvation, you need to tell others about it. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's what God's free lunch should do to every one of us. Because He has given us what we could never get ourselves in a million years. And therefore, we need to tell others about that free lunch. First of all, that free lunch nourishes you, sustains you all of your life and then for eternity. Secondly, that free lunch gives you what you could never, 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 never get yourself or get myself in a million years. Thirdly, lastly, God Himself is the one who can assure us that no one and nobody can eat your lunch. Look at verse 31. (laughs) What is there left to say? What is there left to say? What can I say after this incredible knowledge of God's gift, of God's grace? (laughs) The only thing left for me to say is that if you are saved, no one can take your salvation away from you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Say that with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? Here's a Yusuf translation. I pity, I pity the person... (laughs) Who thinks they can take away my salvation? Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Paul did not say that we don't have some real formidable enemies arrayed against us. He doesn't say that. They are there. Trust me, they are there. Many people watching around the world, they know what I'm talking about. Many of you here know what I'm talking about. Look at verse 35. There's a list here. The unbelieving world persecutes us. The indwelling sin is powerful adversary. Uh, Death has been defeated but not destroyed, together with the principalities and the powers of of darkness. Uh, These are some formidable enemies. While all of this is true, it is only part of reality. These things are big. These things are powerful. These things can be scary at times, and they appear that way, but they are nothing. They are nothing when they are compared with the power of the one who's in us and for us. These four, these formidable enemies, I'm stuttering only when I speak. These formidable enemies remind me of a big, big guy who might be seven feet tall, but he's a fat slob. He gets into the boxing ring, and a professional boxer comes in. He can take him out with one knock. First knock. Don't ever forget the Holy Spirit is a professional boxer. Amen? That's why he who's in us is greater than he who is in the world. Who can bring charges against God's elect? Who condemns us when God set that free? Who 
can condemn us when God said there are now no condemnation upon those who are in Christ Jesus? The answer is what? No one. You need help? The answer is? When Christ speaks, no one dares to contradict him. When Christ acts, no one can stop him. When Christ issues a verdict, no one can overturn that verdict. And that is why Count, the German Count of Zenzendorf was a playboy who turned missionary who could write these magnificent words this of a song that he used to sing, Behold, I shall stand on that great day, cleansed and redeemed, no debt to pay. For by your cross absorbed I am from sin and guilt, from fear and shame. Amen belongs here. The love of Christ for his elect is so powerful. The love of Christ is so permanent. The love of Christ is so unchangeable. The love of Christ is eternal. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. You see somebody who might be hanging around church for a while, a church goer, or even might be a professing Christian, doing terrible things. And there are people say, see, see, that means people can lose their salvation. See, salvation can be lost. Look at this. Hmm. Beloved, listen to me. That person did not lose his salvation. He was never saved to begin with. He or she maybe loved hanging around Christians, and I've seen it. People are never saved, never born again, just love hanging around Christians. And that's why they give Christians bad name. <laughs> they love looking like Christians. Listen to what John said in 1 John 2 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But by their going, they showed that none of them belonged to us. They're never saved. They're look-alike. The imitation, they're fake. But for those who truly believe, true believers, nothing shall separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. That's not what I'm saying. It's the Word of God. Nothing. Again, look at verse 35 again. It gives us seven, seven powerful things that could really challenge our faith. Every one of them alone could challenge our faith, but they will fail. They will ultimately fail for nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Tribulation will not. Distress will not. Persecution will not. Famine will not. Nakedness will not. Peril will not. Death will not. Let me tell you this story as I conclude and get our hearts prepared for the Lord's table. Just immediately prior to the Civil War. It's a true story. A young lady in New England was engaged to a young man, and they are to be married. But when the war broke, they had to postpone the wedding. 
And then he went to war. Although in the beginning, this soldier had managed to escape some really severe uh, possible wounds until came what they call the, it would become known as the Battle of the Wilderness. There, he was severely wounded. His bride-to-be, not knowing the extent of his injury, continued and was counting the days until her beloved returns. And she, while she was waiting for him, she was reading and rereading and rereading all of the letters. Then the letters stopped coming. And then, sometime later, she got a letter that is a handwriting that she did not recognize. It wasn't his handwriting. She didn't know whose handwriting it was, and the letter read as follows. There has been another terrible battle, and it's been very difficult for me to tell you this. But I have lost both arms. I cannot write to you myself. So a friend is writing this letter for me. While you are as dear to me as ever, I release you from the obligation of our engagement. That letter was never answered. Was never answered. Instead, the young woman took the first train, the next train out, and she went directly where her beloved is being cared for. Tearfully, she reached out to her beloved and threw her arms around him, and she kissed his forehead as she said, I will never give you up. These hands of mine will serve as your hands. My beloved, listen to me. If human love, if human love can be that strong, I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine the love of the one who died for you and you and you and you and you. He will never give you up. He will never give you up. I told the a friend here in the church, we talk about his son. I said, let me tell you something. God is going to bring him back. He may be kicking and screaming. He's going to bring him back. Some of you might be feeling the weight of sin and guilt. Some of you might be feeling that your disobedience your disobedience has maimed you spiritually, and you lost effectiveness. Some of you might be feeling that you have sinned too deeply for God to forgive you. We don't even think you deserve forgiveness. And if you feel so, you're in good company. That's how Peter felt after denying Jesus. But, beloved, the truth is this. Jesus is ready to embrace you and tell you, I'll never give you up. My righteousness covers you. My blood washes you clean. 
My grace is sufficient for you. My mercy is great. All you need to do is come up and come home and say, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. Maybe there's somebody here or somebody watching, and this is the first time you've ever done that. And you understand now the love of God. And, and the very reason you're watching or you're here, you're not by accident. God brought you here for a reason. And this may be the first time he's saying, Father, forgive me. Or you might be, have known the Lord and you walked with Him and you ran away. It doesn't matter. You can come home. You can come home. The Father is waiting for you. Amen? Let's pray together. Stand up with me as we pray. Holy Spirit, you know every person, whether it be here in this room or around the world watching live or watching after, during the week or whatever it may be, whenever they're watching. And you had a word for each one of us. I plead with you not to allow a single person to let this invitation go by unanswered. For some, it may be the last time they'll ever have this invitation. Whatever the situation, Holy Spirit, I ask you to bring conviction and to bring repentance so that you may bring joy to the heart of everyone who desire to love Jesus, obey Jesus, honor Jesus in their life. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 This man standing.